right, let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50 as we continue in our study in the life of Joseph. This will be the, the final night of, uh, I believe, the 13th message of this group. We're actually going to begin reading at the end of chapter 49, just to remind us about what's going on. Jacob has just blessed all of his children, and he got a promise from his sons that he'd be taken and buried, of course, uh, in the promised land. And we didn't read those verses last week, but I want you to notice, I believe in verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them, everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim, the Hittite, for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed, yielded up the ghost, was gathered unto his people. Now, even though this is a study on Joseph, uh, and this is all about uh, Jacob right here, it does affect Joseph. And I just wanted to read that to get us into where Joseph comes into this in verse 1 of chapter 50. Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and the physicians to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his people, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house. Only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days." And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians, wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, 
which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephraim the Hittite before Mamre. Now we're going to notice a few truths here in this passage. Uh, in, as we've already said over and over again about Joseph's life had been a troubled one, lots of troubles. At 17 years of age, he gets sold into slavery by his own brother. Some of them wanted to kill him. Uh, they were jealous. They hated him. They envied him. And boy, when that's going on in the family, that's a miserable way to grow up. But he doesn't use that as an excuse to not be his best. Every person, every young person, you're going to have, I, I, want, I want you to get this, every young person, you're going to have some hard knocks in life. And you can use those things as excuses to be nothing. Or you can use them as building blocks to make something out of yourself. Amen. That's going to be up to you. If, you. if you're not what you're supposed to be, it won't be your parents' fault. It won't be the preacher's fault. It won't be your friend's fault. It won't be society's fault. It'll be your fault. You can make the choices to do right. Very few people get through this life without some problems. Practically everybody has some problems. Some, it seems, more than others. I've discovered this as you read the Word of God. Most of the people that accomplished any great things at all for God had to suffer. It is part of it. So please understand that. If you have a desire to serve the Lord, maybe that's why in today's age, in this snowflake age, where we don't want any problems, we don't want any trials, we want everything to go our way, we want life to be easy and happy and all of that, and they can't take it when any roadblocks are put in their way. I mean, they grab up their guns and they kill a bunch of innocent people that they never knew. Because they've got absolutely no character. They were taught everything was about them. Some of you remember Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Dr. Schlesinger, uh, she had this radio broadcast. It was on WVNN for years. And uh, she would often, often say that everything was about the children. Everything was about the children. I mean, it's for the children. Everything's not about the children. That kind of philosophy. Now, she was a conservative and she had that feeling. But that kind of philosophy spoils children so they can't take the hard knocks of life. Amen. There's going to be trials in life. It's not all about the children. What happens is children grow up, they become adults, and now it's not about them any longer, and they can't take it. The truth is, life is supposed to be about God. Amen. When I got saved, God changed my life. Could have gone on doing the same stuff that I was doing. I could have stayed in radio, could have done all that. God called me to preach. I felt the best thing in the world was just live for the Lord. He doesn't call everybody to preach, but I believe he calls every Christian to be a good Christian. Amen. And he calls every Christian to be a good Christian all the time. Yes. We are here to glorify his name. It's not about you getting what you want. I noticed, I saw a headline the other day about, you know, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. They are absolutely distraught that, what is it, South Park? What is the name of that cartoon? Is it South Park? That they really blasted uh, Meghan and Harry 
I mean, they have had everything going their way. They got millions coming in. They can do most anything they want. And now, and she, she hadn't been seen for a few days because she's absolutely distraught. And you want to go, oh, isn't that tough? <laughs> and yet it's absolutely those kind of people who don't care who they destroy. But God forbid anybody should say anything about them. Anyway, getting back to Joseph, Joseph took it. He served while he was a slave. He served to, the, to his best and God was with him. He gets wronged again and put into slavery. Wronged by the very people, by one of the very people that he was serving, Potiphar's wife. And he gets thrown into prison. And then after being prison, there's 13 years that are gone. His father thinks that he is dead. And God pulls him out of the prison, makes him the number two man in Egypt because he had showed Pharaoh that there were going to be seven years of tremendous benefit, tremendous harvest coming in, and then there were going to be seven years of famine. And God was going to use Joseph to not only save the nation of Egypt, but also to save his family, to save Israel or Jacob and all of his sons and all of his family and that's exactly what takes place. You remember when his uh, brothers came down to Egypt in about the second year of the famine, uh, that finally on the second trip down, he revealed himself to them. They were, they were afraid. By the way, it's going to come up again here in chapter 50 in just a few verses from what we read. They were afraid. They knew how they would handle it. Matter of fact, how most people would handle it. I mean, suddenly they're in power. They can do to the others things that they did to them. Joseph had the power, but he said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God meant it to save life. What God brings in your life, he brings in your life to save life, to help others. It may be hard. It may be tough. Now, understand, there are going to be a lot of hard knocks in life, and I'm not talking about just the hard knocks that we bring on ourselves. We bring on a whole lot of hard knocks on ourselves because we don't obey God, because we don't live for God. But then even if you're living for God, there are going to be some hard knocks in life. That's just reality. Handle it right. All right, somebody did you wrong. Go on, live, make your life count. That's the story of Joseph. Well, you remember, after he revealed himself to his family, he then sends up and gets his dad, gets Jacob, and gets the other families of his brothers, brings them all down, puts them into Goshen. And, of course, they do well in the very best of the land of Egypt. Uh, meanwhile, Joseph solidified the power of uh, Pharaoh even more. When we get to this passage where Jacob dies... That is 17 years after he moves down into Egypt. He was 130 years old when he came down into Egypt to live there. You remember his testimony to Pharaoh. When Pharaoh asked him how old he was, he told him he was 130. And then he made the terrible testimony of saying, few and evil have been the days of my life. And boo-hoo. Uh, that's how a lot of people look at everything that's going on because they didn't get what they wanted. I want you to notice some things tonight. First of all, there's the passing of his father in these first 14 verses. In, in chapter 49, verse 33, it said he yielded up the ghost. Here in verse 1, he fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. 
Joseph again shows himself superior to his brothers. Look at the respect that he is giving to his father. Now, we might ask the question, did Joseph, I'm sorry, did Jacob deserve that kind of respect? But that's not the question. He was father, therefore you give it to him. You may not like the president, but if you see him, you ought to treat him with respect because he is the president of the United States. Do you understand? I don't care who the president is, don't care what party it is. The fact that he's president. You found Joseph uh, talking right to Pharaoh. He acts right and talks right, gives honor to his own father. Now, it's interesting to note uh, that in Jacob's life, he has two 17-year periods where he is with his son, Joseph. In the first 17 years, obviously, he's with his son. And then for 39 years, he thinks his father is, or he thinks his son is dead. And then the last 17 years of his life, he is with his son again. And it's interesting some of the parallels that go along with this in measuring his years. Uh, first of all, there was joy. There was joy at the birth of Joseph in chapter 30 in verses 22 through 24. After all, he was the favored son of the favored wife. And he treated him special, uh, treated him better than he did his other sons. And then there was great joy at the reunion. So both 17-year periods begin with joy. Now also note that in the first 17 years, Jacob was responsible for bringing Joseph into the world. And in the last 17 years, Joseph was responsible for bringing Jacob into Egypt. That doesn't end it. For provision. During the first 17 years, Jacob provided for Joseph. The last 17 years, Joseph provided for Jacob. Honor. In the first 17 years, Jacob had given honor to Joseph. In the last 17 years, Joseph gave honor to his father, Jacob. Not only that, mourning. Each of the 17-year periods ended in mourning. You remember after Joseph gets sold into slavery, his brothers bring to Jacob that coat of many colors with blood on it. And so we find him weeping. We find him mourning because as far as he knew, his son was dead. And that's the way he looked at it. And then, of course, there's mourning at the death of Jacob. Joseph mourns the death of his father and leads the whole nation in that mourning. Now, in that, you know, it used to be. It, it used to be, especially in the South, that when people died, people that don't, didn't even know you were very respectful about death. It's amazing how we even treat death of family members today. It's not a big deal. Let's get them in the ground and get on with life. That's how we look at it in this country. Whew, they're dead. All right, we got a day or two here, We're, and let's get on. We don't want to be too bothered with it. I can remember the first time, and I'm from the north, and I don't know, the north has never had a whole lot of respect for the dead. But, uh, but when I moved down to uh, Tennessee, and I was pastoring at Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, we had a funeral to do. And I saw something that really surprised me. Back then the pastor's car would lead the procession 
right behind the, the police car escort. Now, most of the time, you don't have an escort. Matter of fact, if you have an escort, the uh, family has to pay extra money to get them to escort. There's just not a whole lot of respect or time for the dead. We're too busy with our lives. Well, anyway, I can remember uh, with the police car leading us, the first funeral that I did, and uh, I noticed cars coming the other way all pulled off the side of the road. And they pulled off the side of the road until the entire procession got by. You hardly ever see that today. Zoom, 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 man. As a matter of fact, back then, now that would have been in like 1979, uh, 1978, but back then, if you went around the procession or if you just went ahead and drove past it, if they had an extra police car, they'd stop you. We don't have any of that today. I, I can remember the, uh, when my cousin died uh, down in Birmingham, and I did that funeral. And I, I tell you, they had, I don't know if they still have it or not, but they had a motorcycle squad of policemen who took care of the funeral. This is just kind of extra now. Um, they took care of the funeral. There, there were six, eight of them, I don't know. But man, they were zooming around. They were blocking traffic at the next. That was the sharpest thing that I'd ever seen. That was powerful the way they handled that. I've not seen any other police department. Handle it like they did. But now think about some of the honors here. They were kind of threefold. There was money that was spent for the funeral. After all, when you look at the entourage that was to leave, this is a gigantic entourage of people. For he says up here in verse 7, And Joseph went up to uh, to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. Now that's going to cost. It's not like they could get in the car and drive five hours to get to where they're going. Not only that, you know, they didn't have Cracker Barrel lining the streets. This is going to cost. This is going to be a long trip. Something else that's interesting When it comes to mourning, they mourn for 70 days for Jacob. What did Jacob do for Egypt? What did he do for Egypt? He did nothing for Egypt. He lived off the best of their land, thanks to Joseph. The reality is, the way Egypt handled it, they handled it actually in respect for Joseph. They mourned 70 days. History tells us that when a pharaoh would die, they would mourn for 72 days. So they gave him really high honors. Why? Joseph. Joseph. I remember when uh, Pam's grandmother passed away. She was uh, killed by a drunk driver. Do you remember what year what that was? 97? Um, and uh, sweet lady, sweet lady. Uh, The funeral, of course, was over in the old building, jam-packed. Policemen lined the sides of the building. I don't know how many police cars we had at that place, but that procession, as we went to over um, Memory Gardens there on 72, 
is it memory or memorial? memorial? Memorial Gardens. As we went over there, we had like nine police cars in front of the procession with their lights going. The procession and then another, I don't know, six to ten police cars after that with their lights going. Now, for people who, who didn't know what was taking place, they must have went, well, who died? Was she that famous? No, her son, Pam's daddy, was the number three man in the Huntsville Police Force at that time. And that was out of respect for him that they did that. You see, your life can make a big difference in how other people are remembered. That was a very impressive scene that day. I'd never been in anything like that before. That was awesome. But what a sweet lady. What a tragic end. But what a great honor the way that it turned out. And because of Dennis. Now here, you take a look at what took place. Think about it for a second. The Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. And here are the Egyptians mourning this Hebrew for 70 days. They're spending all this money, all this time to go up and to honor him at his burial. So not only is there mourning, but there's a multitude that are at his burial. The servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, the elders of the land, all the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, chariots and horsemen. This is a testimony to his being someone special. And he's honored. In fact, I was thinking today we don't even put him in the ground anymore, do we? Now, what's the lesson here? Jacob is honored in a land that was not his land. He was honored in a land that was not his land because of the testimony of his son. There's a spiritual application here. We are here to bring honor and glory to our heavenly father. You're here to bring honor and glory to God. You see, all the, he's created all things, and for his pleasure they are and were created. Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The truth is, our lives, every one of us, should bring glory to our Heavenly Father and to our Lord Jesus Christ. He ought to get glory because of us, not just in spite of us. And yet there's some people never think about that with their testimony, their testimony in their business dealings, their testimony in dealing with other people. Their testimony and a lack of service for God. They don't even think about giving glory to the Father and other people giving glory to the Father because of their life. Meanwhile, David later on, here's a man who is a man after God's own heart, but because of what he did, he caused the enemies of God to blaspheme God. I'm just simply saying, what are you doing with your life? Are you making it count to glorify him? If not, you need to get some different priorities and live that others will glorify him as well. Well, all right, so we've got this big scene that takes place. So we go on then to verse 21 here in chapter, uh, verse 15. 
Notice what takes place next. I'll read verse 14. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Now, apart from his brothers, there has been no discussion. There has been no threat made by Joseph. What took place, took place as far as them getting back together 17 years before that. And you'll remember it was 39 years before that that they actually sold them into slavery. So you're talking about 50 years having passed, over 50 years, and it's still on their mind what they did. There is something about a guilty conscience. You can't get away from a guilty conscience. You go to bed with it. You wake up with it. It's always there reminding you. Remember when they first came down to, uh, to see Joseph and they didn't know it was Joseph. That with the different things that were done, the keeping Simeon locked up, the calling for Benjamin to come down, he, nothing had been said about this being Joseph yet. They didn't know it, but they kept bringing up what they did to their brother. So now Jacob's dead. Or Jacob is gone. So, all right, what's next? It's not, well, how shall we carry on here in the land of Goshen? No, when they get together and talk, you know, Joseph's probably going to kill us now. We need to go to him and we need to tell him something. And the way they put it here is interesting. It says in verse 16, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, and tr the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now, when I read this, First of all, I wonder, why did they send a messenger? I really believe because they thought, he'll, since he's probably going to kill us, if the messenger doesn't come back, then we have an opportunity to escape. These guys are still planning. I read what they said. They said, now, our father told us to tell you to forgive us. Do you think Jacob really did? I mean, this is what they said, and the Bible accurately records what they said, but these guys haven't always been truthful in what they say. And they're throwing their father's name down. Hey, there's no way to prove that he said it now, is there? He's dead. It's easy to use a dead man's statement because you can't prove whether he made it or not. I think these people are still conniving. But let me tell you what is really blaring in this. What we see in their statement is this. What they're telling Joseph not to do is if it had been done to them, that's what they would have done. 
This statement here says far more about their character and how they handle a hard time. Now, over the years as a pastor, and I've been pastoring for 48 years now, um, how they would handle it is how most Christians would handle it. We got to get even. When we get an opportunity to get even, they don't deserve any better treatment. But that's not Joseph. You would have thought that that would have been proven to these guys, but they still didn't get it. And then the scripture says at the end of verse 17, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. So now they come, they fall down before his face. Their servant, their messenger delivered the message. And they said, behold, now look at this, we be thy servants. They still think he's going to do something to them. They still think that. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. I think most of us, being in Joseph's place, if we would have said that, we'd have said it through gritted teeth. But this is the real Joseph. This is how he's been through his life. He's about 55 years old at this point. And he has not become a grumpy old man. He's still the same Joseph. He has remained the same. And he repeats his pardon to these people. Now, when it comes to a bad conscience, this is the nature of sin. It does not build trust in others. As a matter of fact, you always think that others are out to get you. Because of what you did. Their problem is also seen in that they knew how that they would react. Um, And Joseph weeps. I'm reminded when I was uh, pastoring in Chattanooga, Tennessee at Pinewood Baptist Church. We had a lady in the church whose husband uh, was a drunkard. I I mean, he was just soused all the time. And he heard voices. She told me at one time, at that time he seemed like an old guy, but he was probably about 60 at the time. Uh, That doesn't seem so old to me now, but that seemed really old at that time because I was in my late 20s. And uh, at one time when when he ran out of booze, he went and got a can of Sterno and he drank that. If you've been around drunks much, if they don't have something to drink that's in a regular bottle, they'll find something else to give them a buzz, and he drank sternal. I mean, the guy was really gone. She asked if I go see him. That's just what I need to uh, talk to a guy who talks with, to people when nobody's there and a guy who thinks that the government is sending agents out to track him. But in the conversations with him, I got to find out what began the downfall for this fellow. It was back during World War II, uh, and in World War II, he worked in an uh, army factory and he stole two spray cans of paint 
He, you know, they had ways that they tried to catch people and stop people from taking tools and other supplies out of the factories. But he got two of them out of there. But from that point on, he was always looking over his shoulder. It was about 1976, it might have been 1977, when he had said, he had written a letter to President Ford telling President Ford to call off the FBI. He was tired of their agents following him around. He would look out the window and if he saw anybody walking by on the sidewalk, he just knew they were government agents who were trying to get him for those two spray cans of paint. Now, do you think the government ever even missed those two spray cans of paint? But I'll tell you what, his conscience did. That's what conscience does. Now, the psychopaths are the people that don't have a conscience at all. But if you have a conscience, man doing wrong will eat you up. Now, in this, Scripture here says, he told them, fear not. Verse 21, he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. It would not have been brought up at all by Joseph. The brothers bring it up. And what we see here is kind of an illustration of salvation. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He saves us. It is amazing how many Christians, probably most every adult here, has done it at one time or another, ask forgiveness for things that God's already forgiven. And you've already asked him about it before. Lord, I'm, I'm just so sorry. Man, I never should have done that. I never should have saw that. I never should have said that. Whatever it was. And you've asked God to forgive you before. And the scripture promises this. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he is faithful to forgive us when we honestly confess it, when we say the same thing about it God says about it, he forgives us, then why do we ask forgiveness again? Because basically, by asking forgiveness again, we're calling God a liar. Well, now we got something else to ask God forgiveness over, don't we? He's forgiven us. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He says in Hebrews 10 and also verse 12, In their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God's put them away. He's forgotten them. Why should I keep bringing them up? That conscience keeps us defeated. When those things come up again and you know you've already asked forgiveness for them, stop and say, Lord, thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Don't ask him for forgiveness again. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. What we find, I had a teacher at Tennessee Temple, Dr. Fred Affman. Did you ever have him, Brother Larry? Uh, Dr. Affman, who, uh, in covering this passage right here, he was an Old Testament scholar, and he said he wondered if God doesn't weep when people have asked Jesus to save them, 
And the Bible says that he does it. And then they come back later and say, now, Lord, if he didn't save me, would you save me now? He said, I wonder if he doesn't weep and want to say, I saved you the first time he asked me. It's funny, we, we believe in once saved, always saved. I believe it with all my heart. I believe Jesus taught it. I believe Paul taught it. I believe Peter taught it. I mean, I, you see it throughout the scripture. It's once saved, always saved. The very nature of grace itself demands it. As a matter of fact, the very nature of the sacrifice of Christ, uh, of Christ on Calvary demands once saved, always saved. He prayed one, paid one price for sin forever. It's taken care of. And yet we who believe in once saved, always saved, it's amazing how many of us have asked God to save us a second time and a third time and a fourth time. It's one of the reasons why we spend so much time. We try to train our people who lead the kids in soul winning to make things very, very clear. I want these kids, when they truly get saved, I want them to know it. We don't try to make people doubt their salvation. God saved you. And I got saved, I was 22 years of age. Honestly, I don't remember the exact words that I said. But my words didn't save me. Just shall live by faith. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Scripture says he saved me. That just settles it right there. So what if the Bible's not true? Then nobody's going to heaven. Do you get that? So I don't have to worry about it. Scripture says I'm saved. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Truth is, Joseph understood more about forgiveness than most people do today. It's taking it off their account. And Joseph had taken it off their account. Now that leads, so far in these 13 messages, we have gone through the life of Joseph for his first 55 years. But now we're going to cover the last 55 years in the remaining verses. The second half of his life doesn't have that many verses to it. Notice in verse 22, and Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's house and Joseph lived 110 years. That's it. Does that mean he didn't do anything? No, I believe he continued to serve as the number two man in Egypt. And he served his position well. He was a good, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. He was a good administrator for Pharaoh, helped to make Pharaoh rich, make him powerful in the land. He helped to make uh, Egypt a very powerful nation. He did all that. Plus, he saved his family during that time. And it says, and then Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die and God will surely visit you and bring you. Now here's a prophecy. Bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, 
God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, he believed God's promise. You notice, he believed in all this, that God was going to take his people out of Egypt and put them back in the land. It would take over 300 years for that to happen from this point. They spent a little over 400 years in Egypt. Several pharaohs are going to come. They do not take Joseph's bones and body. They don't take it up to the promised land when he dies like they did Jacob. They keep his body in Egypt. And the scripture says this in Exodus 13, 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Joshua 24, 32. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem. Now, Judah had nothing to do with that. Uh, the, other, the other brothers had nothing to do with that. This is their families. This is their families some 300 years later. And by this time, of course, Egypt has a pharaoh after 300 years that didn't know Joseph. They might have read about him in their history books, but they didn't know him. By the time they leave, they are no longer a favored people. Now they're slaves. And God gets them out of the land and they remembered the promise that was made by their forefathers to Joseph to take his body out of the land and to, to plant it up in the promised land. Now, Joseph is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's what it says of it. In Hebrews eleven twenty two, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. That's it. With all that he did. Now God records so many great things that he did. But why is he in the hall of faith? He is in the hall of faith. Not really because of something that he had the power to do. It relied on others. He believed the promise that God was giving them that land. Now, obviously, you wouldn't see it while he was alive because hopefully you don't bury live people. But you know he's seen it since then because God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Because God is still Joseph's God. God is still Abraham's God. God is still Isaac's God. God is still Jacob's God. For our dear brethren that have gone on before us, and we could go down a long list of those that have already gone to glory. They're not dead. Their body stopped functioning, but they've been with the Lord. They're still alive. God's still their God. Jesus is still their Savior. Hallelujah for that. All the promises of God, they're still true. And that was the point with Joseph. He believed the promise that one day, for some reason at least, his family would bow down to him. He believed that promise. He stuck by it. During all the hard times, he stuck by the promises. Came time to die, 
And he still believed the promise that God's people were going to be back in the land that God had given Abraham. Still believed it. Listen, the angel said, this same Jesus which is taken up from you shall so come in like manner. I believe it. When Jesus said to John, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. And John says, even so, come Lord Jesus. I still believe it. I believe he's coming. I mean, we can count on the promises of God. Maybe today, for every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What a man, Joseph. He's identified by the hard times he went through and what his testimony was toward others while he went through the hard times. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the Lord Jesus. I do pray you use these to challenge our own hearts in our walk. This world's tough. It's a sin-cursed world. It is not a world of perfect relationships. All the time, there's going to be hardships. God, may we go through those hardships with our faith in you, our trust in you, and no matter how dark it gets at times, we keep our faith in our great God who will fulfill his word to us. And we'll thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.